Hello, I'm Clive Nash. Welcome to Let God Speak. Today we come to the conclusion of our series in the biblical book of Isaiah. We have reviewed remarkable prophecies about the Messiah recorded long before Jesus came to this earth. One king, Cyrus, was even predicted and named long before his birth. Today, we will discover how God will complete the work of saving people and renewing the earth. Let us open our Bibles and hear the good news. Well, on our panel today, we have Casey Butler and Adrian Craig. Good to have you with us together. Well, before we begin our discussion today, let us have a word of prayer. Our wonderful Father in heaven, we thank you that we can come and study this important book and bring our series of studies to a conclusion today. We thank you for inspiring Isaiah, and we pray that the Holy Spirit may inspire us too. As we discuss this lesson today, we ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, Adrian, scientists tell us that uh, our sun one day is going to, to burn out. How does that affect our, our outlook on life? Well, I think they're saying it's going to be a long way down the track and probably that doesn't bring us a lot of satisfaction because we want to see something happen now. The world's in a mess. And I'm glad that we've got the Bible that gives us a very clear picture that we're approaching the end and when the time when God's going to set up a kingdom that will never, never be destroyed. Mm. And where peace will reign and we'll study war no more. And as Isaiah says, the lamb and the lion will be together. And the little child shall lead them in a new, a new kingdom. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a wonderful message of hope, really, isn't it? That's found in the book of Isaiah. And today we're, we're looking at the closing chapters of the book of Isaiah. Uh, particularly chapters 65 and 66. What, what themes do you see coming through in these chapters, Casey? Mm. Yeah, it talks a lot about God's plans for his people in the future and um, so many bright, exciting things that he has in store for us. And actually in, um, in chapter 63, so a few chapters back, it starts with talking about uh, Jesus, a description of Jesus. And if I just read Isaiah 63 verses 1 to 3, it says this, Who is this who comes from Eden with dyed garments from Bozrah, this one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength? I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me, for I have trodden them in mine anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments and I have stained all my robes. And of course, this is referring to the time when Jesus was crucified mm. and gave his life. Yeah, for us shedding and, his blood for us. Yeah, mm. for his redemption for his people. And so pointing to him as the one who is mighty to save um, as a, a means of encouraging the people. Because this is mm. before Jesus came to earth. So it's pointing ahead of time. So Adrian, when you read these final chapters of... Isaiah, do you see some of those themes coming through there? Yes, certainly. Um, 
when you go to chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, you've got focus again on, on Jesus and how he's pled with the people. Um, noticing chapter 65, verse 2, All day long I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations. So God has continually pled with his people. So you see the divine leader, the saviour, you have the idea of um, re the redemption that uh, Jesus provides, and you, come, you notice that in chapter 65, verse 20, it talks about uh, the conditions in the, in the new earth, and then uh, God is a recreator. I create a new heaven. This is the end of chapter, 26, uh, chapter 66. I create a new heavens and a new earth. I make all things new. So he's the recreator, mm. he's the redeemer, He's the one who's in control. Um, well, let's uh, dig a little deeper and we'll go into uh, Isaiah 65. And I'm just going to read verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. So uh, a new heavens and a new earth is spoken of here. Um, now, of course, the Jews, if they would have read these prophecies, they would have thought in terms of going from Babylonian captivity mm. um, back to their homeland. Um, but is, is the picture bigger than that? Is that Casey? Yeah. Yes, yes, I believe it is. I believe that ultimately this is pointing forward to when God is going to totally recreate um, the earth and the heavens. But I think there would be an application to the people in that time. And when you read in um, Isaiah 65 verse 21 and 22, it says the following, They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit, and they shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the works of their hands. And so I think that they would have experienced this at least to some extent back then. But of course, in the new earth, we will really experience the fullness of this. And I love the fact that while on this earth, God gives us experiences that are a taste of what is to come, because this helps us in our minds to have hope for the future. Mm. Yes, the New Testament really brings out more clearly that it's not just long, peaceful lives that you know, the Jews may have experienced back in their homeland, but eternal life mm. you know, that they would have. Um, Isaiah, though, still talks about sin and death in, um, in this restoration. How do you explain that, Adrian? Well, I think this opens up a very large area and we won't, we won't necessarily go down that track, but the prophets of the Old Testament, the major and the minor prophets, uh, repeatedly talk about the wonderful time ahead for the kingdom of Israel. And... Um, that uh, is the first application as you, as you read through some of these prophecies. Second application, of course, is dependent on the New Testament and uh, the way they explain the prophecies. But um, here we have the first application of a kingdom that's going to be better than the kingdom that they've been used to. What did Moses say in, in, in the Psalms 90? 70 years is all you get. If you're a little bit stronger, you might get 80 but life is full of sorrow and what have you. Um, in actual fact, the kings of uh, Judah at that time, the average age was only 47. Mm. So here he's saying, making reference to 100, so obviously life is longer mm. 
Mm. However, the kingdom, the kingdom to come, the, the New Testament uh, hope, the kingdom of Jesus, as we know that uh, is no limit. Mm. Time is, uh, just keeps going and going. Mm. Eternal life, the, the prospect of living forever and a sinless life, you know, is, is one that's full of hope, isn't it? Yeah, and of course we go back to the, uh, right back to the book of Genesis and we understand something of the significance of life. I mean, Adam lasted 930 years, mm. where some of us can't even get to the first hundred. <laughs> and um, Methuselah, the oldest man, 969, so this is an indication of what, how the kingdom will be far better than this. Mm. Let's move on to Isaiah 66. Mm. Um, you know, God promised these, these, these long and uh, fruitful lives. And, but in chapter 66, uh, there's such a lot in here. What, what's the first thing that you notice in this chapter, Casey? Mm. Yeah, I think it starts to talk about how God wants to restore relationship with himself. You know, we've just been talking about sin and the problem with sin. And that causes separation between God. And, and mankind. And so in Isaiah 66, verse 1 and 2, it says, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. And I think this is the key. God is saying here that these are the steps to be restored to myself. You know, if we have a, a repentant spirit and a, a reverence and respect for God's word, mm-hmm. they are the first steps in drawing nearer to God again. Um, you know, we can, as it says, you can build all sorts of houses or places of worship, but ultimately worship comes from the heart. And that's mm. what God is looking for. Mm. So, so what about genuine worship, Adrian? Uh, very important. Jesus emphasized the importance of having a heart that's in sync with uh, the process of worship. Mm. Um, uh, verse 3 here of chapter 66 says, who, But whoever sacrifices a bull is like one who kills a man. So what is actually being said here is that um, the spiritual experience that one has makes effective the offering that one is making. So if indeed the spiritual experience is not in harmony with the offering, it's like killing somebody. Wow. So it's one thing to go through the former religion, another thing to have a spirit that's in harmony with what that religion's all about. Mm. Um, let's have a look further in the chapter at, um, at verse 17. Um, Isaiah 66, verse 17. Uh, Those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves to go to the gardens after an idol in the midst, eating swine's flesh, swine being an abomination to to these people, um, and the abomination and the mouse shall be consumed together, says the Lord. What's been condemned here, Casey? Mm. Yeah, well, back in the time where this is referring to, God's people had often mingled pagan practices in with their worship and had gone astray from what God had commanded them to do in worship. And um, you can actually see an example of this um, in Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 8 and verse 7 to 12. 
And it starts off sort of setting the scene with God telling Ezekiel to look at a little hole in the wall into the temple. It's kind mm -hmm. of like, have a peek in here, what's going on? And um, what was going on, if we pick it up in verse 10, it says, So I went in and saw, and there every sort of creeping thing, abominable beasts, and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed all around on the walls. And there stood before them seventy men of the elders of the house of Israel, and in their midst stood Jazaniah the son of Shaphan. Each man had a censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. Uh, then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark, every man in the room of his idols? For they say, The Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. And so you can see here, the people were doing all these terrible things in worship, but um, they thought, oh, God doesn't care or he doesn't worry about these things, but he mm. does worry about that. And so I guess the lesson for us is, you know, maybe can we have this experience today? Is it possible that we could somehow get worship wrong and have um, a false form of worship today? And what does that actually look like? Um, that's, that's really a question for us to ponder and consider. So. Mm. Well, I think, uh, Clive, this goes right back to the first chapter in Isaiah, doesn't it? When God says, I hate your Sabbaths, I hate your feast days, mm. why does he say that? He's, he's saying that because you go through a form, but your heart is, not, right. your heart is really not in religion. Mm. So there must, be, uh, there must be a corresponding between the way one lives and the way one worships. And Jesus, of course, highlighted this, didn't he, in Matthew yes. 23. Mm. He says, uh, the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All that they tell you to do, you do, but don't you do what they do because they don't do what they say. And so the whole of Matthew 23 is an indictment on uh, um, hypocrisy. Mm. I remember the statement that the greatest deception of the human mind in Christ's day was that a mere assent to the truth constitutes righteousness. The people, the most religious people in the whole world crucified my Jesus. Mm. Let's have a look at another verse here in, uh, in Isaiah 66. And we're looking at uh, verse 18 now. For I know their works and their thoughts. It shall be that I will gather all nations and tongues and they shall come and see my glory. Okay. So God's intention clearly was that, that Israel would attract mm -hmm. all the nations to an understanding of the true God. Um, uh, but how was... How was he to achieve this, Adrian? Well, I think it's very beautifully illustrated in the Old Testament. You've got the captive girl who went down and worked mm -hmm. in the house of Sy the Syrian commander. Mm -hmm. uh, the Queen of Sheba, who came from the ends of the earth to see the wisdom of Solomon. Solomon answered all her questions. And when she saw the precision and the beauty of the kingdom, and the text says she saw the burnt offerings, there was no more spirit left within her. She was mm. astonished. And what happened here was to happen on every occasion. And it's illustrated not only with Sheba, but with Daniel. He went down there in Babylon. And what happened with Daniel's witnessing? He, he, he uh, shall I say, was the instrument in bringing Nebuchadnezzar to conversion. Mm. And what happened with Nebuchadnezzar's conversion was to lead on to the kingdom of Babylon becoming the, the beauty, beautiful kingdom that would acknowledge God. Unfortunately, it didn't last. Mm. So the Old Testament is replete with examples of what, 
what God wanted Israel to do. Joseph's another one. Esther's another one. Mm. And, and certainly the next verse there, verse 19, and they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles. Um, you know, that was God's intention, that mm. his people would be witnesses for him in, in all the earth. Um, let's have a look at verse 20 uh, of Isaiah 66. Verse 20 says, Then they shall bring all your brethren for an offering to the Lord out of all nations, on horses and in chariots, and in litters, on mules, and on camels. And where were they to come? To my holy mountain, Jerusalem, says the Lord. As the children of Israel bring an offering in a clean vessel into the house of the Lord. Mm. So converts were were like a, an offering to God. Is there a New Testament comparison to this, Casey? Mm, yeah, there is. It's actually in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. And I love how um, Paul writes about it here. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So he's saying that our lives lived out for God can be mm. like a sacrifice to him. And um, this is consistent, you know, in the Old Testament, the Bible talks about the Levites and how they were consecrated to God. And that was like their lives were like an offering for him, but they were not dead. They were alive. You know, they were living their life. Um, the other verse that's very good is Ephesians 5, 2. And it talks about how as we walk in love, our life can be like a sweet, swell, sweet smelling aroma. Um, like a fragrance. I mean, most of us enjoy a sweet smelling perfume, especially us women. Um, and it's very inspiring to think that our lives can be such a pleasing thing to God, mm. that they can be like an aroma that brings joy to his heart. What an amazing privilege we have to live life like that. Yeah, there's a, there's a good text over, and relevant, I think, to, in Romans, uh, Romans chapter 11 and uh, verses 13 17 and 18. I wonder if you could share those with us, please, uh, Adrian, if you've got that handy. That's uh, Romans chapter 11 and uh, verse 13, 17 and 18, because it specifically talks here about the Gentiles. Uh, mm. uh, Paul was writing, of course, here in this, this section. Now this is verse um, 13, mm-hmm. verse 17, verse 18 of Romans 11. Okay. I am talking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I make of my ministry, uh, I make much of my ministry. Uh, Verse 17, if some of the branches have uh, been broken off and you though a wild olive shoot have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. And verse 18, do not boast over those branches. If you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Mm. Mm. So what was Paul saying here, Adrian? Then? So Paul is saying that, uh, okay, the Jews are the, are the, uh, the olive tree, mm-hmm. but there are some other branches that are being grafted onto the tree. And he's saying this is, this is, the, uh, this is the figure of the Gentiles coming into the, mm. the uh, pale of redemption. Mm. Uh, and Casey, how did, how did Jesus express this idea of universal evangelism? Mm, yeah, he told his disciples just before, they, before he left earth, uh, Matthew 28, verse 19. 
He told them to go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. So you see there it says all the nations. That's all inclusive. So everyone alive is um, able to benefit from what God was wanting here uh, in terms of everyone having an opportunity for salvation. Mm. There's an interesting text in, uh, in Acts chapter 26 and verse 20. It says, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles, as is to mm. non-Jews, the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God and do works befitting uh, repentance. Uh, so, so Adrian, both, both Jews and Gentiles were, were targets of Paul's mission. But So why did Paul take this approach? Well, the gospel is universal. God so loved the world. He didn't just love the Jews or any particular group of people. And as a matter of fact, uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 14, he said, I'm in debt. I'm in debt to the extent that I, I'm adding a little bit here. I'm, I'm in debt to the extent that I've been equipped. So if I've been given the gospel. I'm in debt to give this gospel to other people. So I'm a debtor to the Greeks, the non-Greeks, the wise and the foolish. Mm. So the cross of Calvary puts me in debt to everybody. It's kind of like a natural corollary, isn't it? You know, when you get good news, what do you want to do with it? Mm. You know, you want to share the good news and there could be no better news than the good news of salvation yeah. through Jesus Christ. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, uh, I'd like to go back to Isaiah now, Isaiah 66, and we'll look at verse 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. What's reassuring about this verse, this promise here, Adrian? God, uh, God is giving, uh, let me have a look at verse 22. That's, that's um, verse 22 of Isaiah 66. We're in the last chapter of the book of Isaiah and he's bringing things to a, to a wonderful, hopeful conclusion here as he speaks about the new heavens and the new earth. And this is a, this is a um, offer that's given to all people, a new heavens and a new earth. It's not just um, renewed Jerusalem, it's a renewal that's going to be, shall I say, cosmic. It's going to make everything brand new. Hmm. Is, it, uh, is it new? Can I, I just ask a supplementary question here for you? Is it new in the sense of never not existing before or what sense is it new um it's a, it's probably very difficult to get the right word if, if we say it's renewed well is it renewed it's brand new it's like it's god it's eden restored so the bible's uh, making it very clear that it started off with the with eden genesis uh, the first appearance messed up and then we end up in the eden restored in revelation at the end of the book so the whole plan of redemption is to bring a, a new kingdom for us, a kingdom where there's no more death, sorrow, crying or pain. Mm. So, Because yeah, in, in Genesis 1 and verse 1, it uses past tense. You know, God, in the beginning, God created past tense, the heavens and the earth. Um, so what's the difference between the creation of our world and, and what Isaiah is describing here, Casey, in this verse? Mm. Yeah, well, um, it says that he will make a, a new heaven and a new earth. 
Um, but the way that he describes how he will make the new heaven and earth is that it's he's continually doing it. So it's almost like since sin came and marred the first heaven and earth, which was perfect at the time, but sins made it imperfect. Um, it's almost like since that point, God has been continually working towards creating a new heaven and new earth. And um, he's already showed us what the plans are. You know, back in Revelation, he talks about the new Jerusalem and mm. the beautiful heaven and new earth as well for us to enjoy. So he's got the plans in place, but there's a lot of things that he has to work out in the meantime in terms of resolving the great controversy before we can actually realize that new heaven and new earth. And um, yeah, so that's how I see the, the difference there. It's, it's something that God is working at now. Um, ultimately to, to bring to pass. It's interesting, Clive, that this word create um, is used in the only other book it's used apart from Genesis in the book of Isaiah. And the book of Isaiah actually refers to the creation of God far more than the book of Genesis does. You talk about God created Jacob, he created Jerusalem, quoting from Isaiah. Mm. And the interesting thing to me is that the God who creates is the God who recreates. Mm. It's, it's um, I guess, important to note that uh, Isaiah puts a lot of emphasis on the creator, and, he can, and then that can lead him on to the fact that the creator is the recreator who makes everything new, brand new. Mm. Yes. Um, verse 23, uh, uh, Adrian mentions worshipping from one Sabbath to another and one new moon to another. Why does it... Why does he mention new moons here? We've we've had a bit of discussion about this off camera. <laughs> yeah, this is a little this is a little tricky. Um, we go back to first and second application again, and indeed the Jews could look forward to a time when they would celebrate the new moon in the appropriate way. Mm. Because you may remember, you go back to chapter one, verses fourteen or somewhere around about there. God hates their new moons, but now the new moons are in good, good standing. Mm -hmm. because and the Sabbath too, of course. Exactly, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And certainly, you know, we would expect that uh, there will be the Sabbath being celebrated in mm -hmm. eternity. Mm -hmm. um, the sun and the moon will regulate the, uh, the times and seasons just as they do here on this earth now. And what's the tree of life going to do? We're there for our every tree. month. Every month. We'll eat the fruit every month. Yes, yeah. indeed. Mm. So there were, there were actually very important feast uh, procedures that took place on the day of uh, on the new moon. Mm. So. Mm. Yeah, so Isaiah finishes on a very hopeful note. And, uh, you know, Isaiah was privileged to, to see the day when the wolf would lie down with the lamb, when there'd be no more sin, but eternal life in a new heaven and a new earth. The book of Revelation reminds us that when that day dawns, there'll be no more death no more tears and no more pain. Won't you accept Jesus as your personal saviour today and be part of that inheritance? Well, we're glad you joined us today on Let God Speak. Remember, all past programs plus teacher's notes are available on our website, 3abnaustralia.org.au. Email us if you wish on lds at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We hope you'll join us again next time. Until then, may God bless you. You have been listening to Let God Speak, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 
3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.